welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 29. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. So this week, I've been playing No Man's Sky Beyond and Axiom Verge. In the news this week, clues point to SNES games coming to Nintendo Switch Online, Luke Smith reflects on year two of Destiny 2, plus cross-save details, and a new Bubble Bobble is coming exclusively to Nintendo Switch. It's a jam-packed show. Let's get to it. Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and you're having a good week. I'm good this week, having spent much of the week in Glasgow. It's been a good week of gaming this week, plus we're building up to Gamescom next week, where we're likely going to be getting lots of juicy announcements. It all kicks off tomorrow, Monday the 19th of August, and Nintendo have got an indie showcase at 7pm, and Xbox have got their announcements at 4pm. So no doubt this week is going to be a big week of news and trailers, as we rapidly approach September and many of the big releases coming soon. Also this week, we've had some good entertainment releases with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood out in the cinema, which I got to see yesterday. I'll go over the movie later on in the podcast, but if you like Tarantino movies, then this is definitely something you should check out. There's also Season 2 of Mindhunter out on Netflix, which is great fun. Great drama as Season 2 picks up at a good pace from where Season 1 left off. But first up, let's take a look at what I've been playing this week. So this week I've been playing No Man's Sky Beyond, which is a new update from Hello Games. I've been following No Man's Sky for some time, I've been waiting for this update to jump in and I'm really, really happy I did. I'll get into my thoughts on No Man's Sky soon, plus a short recap of how we got to where we are today. Also this week I've been playing through Axiom Verge, which is a great Metroidvania available on most platforms. We're spoiled for choice when it comes to Metroidvania games, however Axiom Verge is worthy of being at the top of many indie game lists. I'll get into that review later on, but first of all, let's take a look at No Man's Sky Beyond. Fans have been eagerly awaiting No Man's Sky's latest update entitled Beyond. As well as a bunch of quality of life updates, there's VR support and expanded online experiences. It's the update fans have been waiting for, and it's the one that's going to tempt newcomers into diving into No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky Beyond has three main components to the update. Multiplayer, VR and quality of life features. 
More players can now inhabit a server and players will see each other in the game world, providing that sense of a living world around them. Players can also travel to the Nexus to meet, group up, shop and take on missions. A bulk of the Beyond update is focused on the quality of life tweaks that will likely please long-time fans of the game. However, Hello Games have said the early game has been tidied up and streamlined to give a better introduction to the array of mechanics in the game. There's also new story content to bring together the main narrative strands from the previous updates. The quality of life improvements include increased storage space, which is a common problem in live service games. There's a significant improvement in storage space from 250 to 10,000. The pinning system has also been significantly improved also to help players guide them through new crafting of items. One of the challenges with the game that's open and free is guiding players who aren't used to it and welcome a little guidance. There's an update to the technology tree which visualises upgrade paths. You've got improved flight controls and measures put in place to help reduce the feeling of the grind. For example, you can set up a little automatic machine that mines for you and this continues even when you're not in the game. There's also NPC upgrades too with the alien language system. There's roaming NPCs now to be found out there in the world you can talk to in the wild and who you can go on missions and stories with. There's a new cooking system that allows you to whip up a nice space meal. And you can even milk the space creatures. Yes, that's right, you can milk the creatures. Talking about creatures, you can now ride the wildlife around in No Man's Sky, changes that were introduced for VR. The player count has also been increased to 8 on consoles and 32 on PC. No Man's Sky is an action-adventure game that started off its life in August 2016 and was originally released on PS4 and PC, but it came to Xbox later in July 2018. The game is built around four main pillars of player experience. You've got exploration, survival, combat and trading. The world around the player is a procedurally generated open-world universe and contains 18 quintillion planets, so there's plenty to do. Planets have their own ecosystems of unique flora and fauna and contain various space creatures that either want to attack you or trade with you. The objective in the game is to gather materials by mining, gaining power and new equipment, buying and selling items through credits, obtained by documenting species found in the universe and seeking out the mysteries to be found. The game is very ambitious and now with Beyond it feels like the game Sean Murray and Hello Games wanted to release at launch. There was a small team behind the original release of No Man's Sky and the team wanted to create something that conveyed the sense of exploration and optimism that science fiction writing of the 1970s and 1980s gave them. When the game initially launched it received mixed reviews. Some felt that leading up to the game's release, features were discussed that were not in the final game. There was a backlash from fans at this point and Hello Games went silent. Hello Games should be congratulated though as this was an intense backlash which could have floored many. Instead of giving up on the game, they kept working on it and providing content-rich updates for free, leading to turning the situation around for players and PR. Sean Murray later admitted the company had failed to manage huge expectations of the game and have since taken a different approach to talking about updates. Since the initial release, the game has received a number of updates, including Foundation, which was in November 2016, that allowed players to define a planet as their home planet and construct a base there. Once constructed, players can teleport from space back to their home, allowing for a better travel experience all around the universe. Foundation also introduced Survival Mode, 
when the environment acted in a more hostile way to the player. Atmospheric effects had a larger impact on player exosuits, and the aliens were even more hostile. The second update in March 2017 was known as the Pathfinder update, and this allowed players to share bases with other players and added new vehicles to help planetary exploration. It also introduced the permadeath option that wipes players' progress completely on death, and also support for Steam's Workshop. The third update is the Atlas Rises, and that was released in August 2017 and added a significant amount of story content to the game, with approximately 30 hours of narrative and procedurally generated missions. A limited online co-op mode was introduced called Joint Explorations, allowing for 16 players to explore together and use voice chat and text commands to communicate with one another. It was a good sign of things to come for No Man's Sky. Next was the fourth update to the game, and the most significant to date. This was released on July 24th, 2018, and coincided with the launch on Xbox One. Next was the update that Hello Games publicised was the update that brought them closer to their original vision. There was a full multiplayer experience added, build together or fight against each other, and uh, bases were no longer restricted by location. Players could now build anywhere, including underwater. Bases were also visible to other players on the same platform, giving that sense of a game that is full of life and activity. The Abyss came in October 2018 and expanded on the world's aquatic biomes with more creatures, resources, base building features and more story content and a new personal submarine to explore underwater areas. Visions was then released in November 2018, adding even more flora and fauna and the opportunity to collect resources and trophies from freighters alien bases and fossil creatures. All of these updates led to No Man's Sky Beyond, which has been widely anticipated by fans. The universe feels more alive, there's so much more to do, collect, trade and build now. It's very much closer to the original vision of the game, if not the original vision for No Man's Sky. To check out the updates in their entirety, you can check out the full patch notes on thisweekinvideogames.com and you'll see No Man's Sky Beyond there right at the top of the page. But I jumped into No Man's Sky Beyond this week, and I must say I'm really, really impressed. I find the game one of the most relaxing games I've ever played. Get home after work, go and explore, collect and document my findings, build something, go on a story or go on a quest. I'm really, really enjoying it. I'm quite surprised I sat on this game for so long. But No Man's Sky Beyond and the updates have really fleshed out the game and make the game feel alive and full of life. It's it's super, super fun. Definitely recommend you go out there and check it out. But what do you think about No Man's Sky Beyond? Send me an email on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com. I'd love to hear what you think about No Man's Sky Beyond, uh, so send me an email. Okay, so next up, let's take a look at Axiom Verge. Axiom Verge is a fantastic metroidvania that can stand tall amongst the competition in the genre, and there is plenty. 
Over the last few years, many standout Game of the Year contenders have been Metroidvania titles, and Axiom Verge is among the best. We start the game with our hero, Trace, who's experimenting in his lab. The experiment unfortunately goes wrong, as they often do in these situations, and there's an explosion. Trace wakes up in a strange new environment, not knowing where he is, with little clues in a dark, dank world. The only thing accompanying Trace is a strange voice which guides him. Has Trace been killed, or has he been teleported to a strange new world? Axiom Verge keeps you guessing from the start and provides you with that motivation to keep playing and finding out. There's a sense of speed and urgency to the gameplay. The controls are slick and responsive and the game feels fast, more so than its genre counterparts. When you start the game, you've got a standard issue weapon, but as you play, you discover more weapons quickly and your power increases exponentially. The array of guns available to the player is great and provides many ways to play the game. There's long-range weapons and short-range weapons, all of which are upgradable with stats like range, damage and ammo size. As well as the action in the game, there's a certain amount of exploration too. Every room you enter, there are new enemies to kill, new items to find, and new secrets to uncover. As you clear out rooms of enemies, you get map markers added to your screen, allowing you to keep track of where you've been. More often than not, in Metroidvania games, you'll explore, hit a big wall, and then you have to find your way around it, or perhaps a tool that will get you through it. Axiom Verge promotes this sense of exploration and guides you with an invisible hand to the next area with skill. One of the early weapons in the game is a gun that allows you to stabilise and destabilise the environment and objects. Use it against the environment and you may reveal a secret room. Hit an enemy with it and there may be easier to kill, or harder if you're unlucky. It provides a random element to the game which keeps you on your toes and keeps you guessing, but always makes the gameplay fun. There's drills, guns, projectiles, but also weapons that allow you to interact with the environment in new and interesting ways. The weapons and upgrades are plentiful, and there's an array of power-ups and items that affect your health, jump abilities, and damage. Each new ability and power boost helps you crack the puzzle, or hit the switch that allows you to progress to the next area. Boss battles are a highlight in the game with big set pieces that challenge you. Learning the attack patterns of the bosses is key to each encounter. The game is fairly forgiving though when it comes to dying. There's plenty of regular save points and when you die you head back to the most recent checkpoint. You don't lose your items when you die either, which is a nice trait. This isn't to say the game is a cakewalk, because it most certainly isn't. As you progress through the game it gets tougher, enticing you to play more. Together with the story beats, Axiom Verge does a great job of motivating you to keep you playing with the mechanics progressing you through each level. The graphics and sound hark back to the great games of the 80s and 90s with pixel art, a colour palette which is true to the restrictions of the era and excellent chiptune audio. The game was entirely made by a single pair of hands belonging to Tom Happ. You can see the care, the attention the hard work that's been poured into the game. Not only the graphics, the game design, but also the music too. In summary, Axiom Verge is a great addition to the indie Metroidvania genre with great weapons, fast movement and the boss battles are fun and rewarding. The game's available on nearly every platform that you can play video games on. Although I played on PC, the game would entirely be at home on Nintendo Switch, allowing you to play on the move. If you enjoy indie games, then this one is a must-buy. So the game was developed by Tom Happ. It's available on PS4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch and PC. 
It was originally released on the 31st of March 2015, and I gave the game a final score of 86 out of 100. But what do you think of Axiom Verge? Send me an email on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com. I'd love to hear from you. Well, if you're enjoying This Week in Video Games podcast, then head on over to iTunes and leave us a nice review. It really helps get the word out about the podcast, so if you've got access to iTunes, go over there, give us a star rating, and I'd really appreciate a review. Don't forget, This Week in Video Games has a YouTube channel that goes alongside with the podcast. The YouTube channel is the entire archive of the podcast, as well as dedicated reviews, interviews, features, and how-to videos. So search This Week in Video Games on YouTube and subscribe today for all the latest content. And if you want to see anything specific on YouTube, send me an email to podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com. It'd be great to hear from you. Next up, let's take a look at the news of the week. First up in the news this week, the Twitch CEO makes a public apology to Ninja. So Ninja left Twitch about 10 days ago. And like with many breakups, usually there's fallout to deal with. Since Ninja left to go to Mixer, Twitch added a feature where other streamers were recommended on Ninja's channel. This was recommending other Twitch streamers in Ninja's absence. So Ninja, he'd built up about 14 million followers on Twitch, and people were just sort of hanging out in his chat in his absence. Ninja's not really been happy about Twitch doing this because they don't do it for any other streamer. Then it took a turn for the worse. Over the weekend, some not-safe-for-work content, otherwise known as porn, was the number one recommended stream on the Fortnite star's former channel on Twitch. Ninja, clearly angry and upset at this development, posted an update to Twitter demanding the channel be taken down, and he apologised to fans who may have potentially seen something they shouldn't have. Twitch's CEO Emmett Shear came out to apologise by saying, Our community comes to Twitch looking for live content. To help ensure they find great live channels, we've been experimenting, sharing recommended content across Twitch, including on streamers' pages that are offline. On a more personal note, I want to apologise directly to Ninja that this happened. It wasn't our intent, and it should not have happened. There's no excuses. So, lots of fallout of um, Ninja moving over to Mixer there, and uh, since Ninja has actually gained a million subscribers on Mixer, so good on you Ninja, nice work there. And as for Twitch, it feels like they've had a rough few weeks with some clear mistakes that have been made. So hopefully Twitch can clean that up in the next few weeks and get back on track. Next up in the news, the Destiny Director's Cut has been talked about this week with Year 2 Reflections. So Luke Smith, Destiny's franchise director, has given some fans some insight into the decision-making process with a fascinating long-read article this week called Destiny Director's Cut. Leading up to the launch of Shadowkeep in October, Smith wanted to give us an update on where we are with the state of the game as we move into Year 3 of Destiny 2 content. So in Destiny 2 Year 2, Bungie took a different approach to content updates compared to Destiny 1 or Destiny 2 Year 1. Back then, content drops meant new story, new crucible maps and new strike together with new weapons and maybe even a raid. This year, Bungie introduced the annual pass for the content, which focused more on providing an engaging endgame, with more things to do once you reach the level cap. This year has arguably been one of the best in the Destiny franchise's history, with the launch of Destiny 2 Forsaken, the reintroduction of random roll weapons, an endgame destination with the Dreaming City, evolving and cyclical content with the curse on the Dreaming City, the introduction of dungeons, the menagerie, and some exciting exotic quests and lore. We've also had some excellent raids this year, including Last Wish, which has been one of their best ever. 
It hasn't all been plain sailing, though, which Luke Smith admits. The season of the Drifter was widely seen as a low point for the year, as the season was focused on Gambit, which isn't universally adored by Destiny fans. So Luke alludes to the idea that the original Gambit and Gambit Prime can't really both exist going forward. Therefore, there's going to have to be a Highlander moment where there can be only one for Gambit, and that might be coming in year three. So Luke Smith went on to say they wanted to make Destiny 2 content in a more sustainable way for the Bungie team. In year two, they created more ways for Guardians to grind out their favourite weapons and gear. So he said, During the annual pass, we invented new bespoke ways to earn rewards each season. Black Armoury had its bounties, Season of the Drifter had the Reckoning Machine, and Season of Opulence had its Chalice. Each of these new mechanics, each with their own lessons, were valuable, but also put the team into an unsustainable development cycle. We needed to develop more systematic, standardised set of mechanics for progression and keep our teams healthier. And we're going to tackle this problem in D2 in Year 3. There's some really interesting insight into the design principles uh, behind encounter combat, and Luke says they had to break most of them when they created The Reckoning, a boss battle encounter event that paired with Gambit Prime. So Luke said, Destiny had some sweet gear, and in order to create challenges in The Reckoning, we broke a bunch of our encounter design philosophy. That sweet gear, coupled with the encounter design, meant the number of ways to viably, efficiently progress was dramatically reduced. We want Destiny to be a game where you have lots of choices with your character. Build what you choose to do, and funneling those choices down to only one in Reckoning is something we don't want to repeat. As well as a critical look back at the seasonal content of Destiny 2 Year 2, Luke Smith did say some changes were coming to the Pursuits tab. He said the team were crestfallen with the negative feedback, and he said they wanted to do better when they changed it earlier this year. He said they were crestfallen, not just because of the sometimes harsh-feeling feedback, but because the team wanted to make something sweet, exceed your expectations, and meet their own expectations. None of these things happened. So if you're a Destiny fan, and this is a really interesting long read indeed. If not, it does give you some insight into the games industry regarding creating sustainable endgame content and the toll it can take on a team. So if you want to check out the Director's Cut, head over to thisweekinvideogames.com and uh, search up Luke Smith and you'll find a link to the Destiny Director's Cut there. Next up in the news, we've got more Destiny 2 details with cross-save coming and Bungie is planning for the big PC migration from Battle.net to Steam, as well as Destiny 2 cross-save. So they're both new features that seem far-fetched ideas when Bungie was working with Activision. However, there seems to be a change of tune recently from the creators of Destiny. So on August 21st, Destiny 2 cross-save is coming, and that means picking up from where you left off across different platforms, which sounds fantastic. One of the main reasons players stayed on console was because they didn't want to grind out weapons, armour and items again on another platform. And you can find out more about Destiny 2 cross-save Head on over to thisweekinvideogames.com and type in cross-save and you'll find the link there. Also on August 21st, Bungie's going to start the migration from Battle.net to Steam by letting players link their accounts in preparation for Shadowkeep on October the 1st, 2019. And again, you can find out more about the PC transfer if you go to thisweekinvideogames.com, type in PC transfer Destiny 2 and you'll find a link to the article there. Next up in the news, good news for the battle against loot boxes. Nintendo, Microsoft and Sony are going to force loot box drop rates in a new disclosure. The mood is changing for loot boxes in the gaming industry and a major development has taken place over the last week. Nintendo, Sony and Microsoft have announced their intent to force publishers to disclose loot box drop rates to allow loot boxes on their platform. 
It started at an entertainment software association, the ESA's workshop, the other week, where members of the video games industry got together to discuss consumer protection issues related to video game loot boxes. Since then, the big three console makers, Nintendo, Sony and Microsoft, announced new measures of the disclosure. They will enforce publishers to indicate the probability of randomised virtual items, loot box drop rates, and this is fantastic news. Publishers such as Bungie, Activision Blizzard, Bethesda, Bandai Namco, Sony, Nintendo and Microsoft, Take-Two, Ubisoft, EA, Warner Brothers and Wizards of the Coast. They've all signed up to this new relative rarity or probability in obtaining in-game virtual items from purchased loot boxes in their games in a manner that is understandable and easily accessed. And the deadline for this change is no later than the end of 2020. So the gaming world is starting to turn its back on loot boxes and this is a good thing too. US senators have complained to stop them as well as some European countries have already banned them already with Belgium and the Netherlands already banning these practices. So it looks like the tide is changing on loot boxes in the gaming industry and this can only be a good thing. So Nintendo followed out with a statement saying at Nintendo ensuring our customers can make informed choices when they play our games is very important. And that was a statement issued to Eurogamer. As part of our ongoing efforts in this area, Nintendo is going to require disclosure of drop rates in Nintendo Switch games that offer randomised virtual items for purchase, such as loot boxes. This requirement will apply to all new games and include updates to current games that add loot boxes through in-game purchases. We also offer tools like a Nintendo Switch Parents Control mobile app, which empowers parents to choose what works for their family, including managing in-game purchases and setting playtime limits. Sony also offered their own thoughts by saying Sony Interactive Entertainment aims to ensure PlayStation users have access to information and tools such as parental wallet controls that will help make informed decisions about in-game purchasing. And that was uh, mentioned to Eurogamer again by a PlayStation spokesperson. We support the industry efforts to disclose the probability of obtaining randomised virtual items known as loot boxes and are committed to providing customers with this information for all games we produce and publish. So good to see Sony and Nintendo coming out there and being pretty clear about that. So good news there. Next up, Bubble Bubble 4 Friends has been announced as an exclusive for Nintendo Switch. And Taito, the uh, original creators of the successful Bubble Bubble franchise from the 80s, is creating a new title for Nintendo Switch. So Bubble Bubble 4 Friends will be a Nintendo Switch exclusive and is coming to Europe first, woohoo, on the 19th of November and then later in 2020 for North America. The original game was a platform game first released in 1986 and the game starred twin dragons Bub and Bob going through 100 stages blowing and popping bubbles. The game's got a variety of enemies and used bubbles to navigate the environment as well as against your enemies. The game was ported from arcades to multiple home consoles including the NES and SNES. So exciting news there and it's great to see Tato back in the driver's seat for a Bubble Bubble title. Next up in the news, clues point to SNES games coming to Nintendo Switch soon. So ever since Nintendo Switch Online was announced and we've had the capability to play NES games through the service, Fans have been calling for SNES games to be added to the library. The SNES Mini console was a success for Nintendo and no doubt raked in the cash. However, it could be time for SNES games to come to Nintendo Switch Online if a new FCC filing is accurate. Nintendo did state in a recent investor call they wanted to bolster Nintendo Switch Online by making it more attractive to their audiences. So originally reported on recent era forums by user Link83, 
Nintendo's filed for a new wireless controller for Nintendo Switch that looks very similar to a SNES controller. This is also similar to the wireless NES controller that was successfully launched with a library of NES games back for Nintendo Switch Online when it first came out. So the Nintendo Switch is the perfect platform for these 8 and 16-bit games and the success of the SNES Classic and the previous Wii U Store shows us an ongoing appetite to consume these classic games through modern means. So I'd love to hear what you think about this topic. Send me an email on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com. I'd love to hear what SNES games you want to see on Nintendo Switch. And I'll kick things off with A Link to the Past and Chrono Trigger. I love those games. Send me your SNES games that you want to see on Nintendo Switch. Okay, so that's it for the news this week. Next up, let's take a look at the charts. Put at number 10 this week, down one from number 9 last week, it's Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Then up one place at 9 this week from last week's number 10 is Minecraft. At 8 this week, up 7 places, it's Red Dead Redemption 2. And then at 7 this week, down 6 places from last week's number 1, is Fire Emblem Three Houses. At 6 this week, up 5 places from last week's number 11, it's F1 2019 back into the top 10. And at 5 this week, up 1 place from last week's number 6, it's Grand Theft Auto 5. At 4 this week, it's FIFA 19, which is down 2 places from last week's number 2. And at 3 this week, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which is up 4 places from last week's number 7. And I think Mario Kart 8 Deluxe has been in the top 10 all year, so fantastic work there from Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Number 2 this week is up 2 places from last week's number 4, it's Super Mario Maker 2. And at number one this week is Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled, up two places from last week's number three, and it goes back to number one. Congratulations to Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled. And it looks like Fire Emblem Three Houses, after spending a couple of weeks at number one, is dropping down the charts quite a lot, so it looks like Fire Emblem audience has been has all gone out and bought the game. Um, but yeah, let me know what you're playing. Are you playing anything in the top 10 there? And uh, yeah, especially, are you one of the people that went out and brought Crash Team Racing and took that back to number one? I'd love to hear from you. If you send me an email on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com or tweet me at TWIVG Podcast on Twitter. Well, that's it for the charts this week. Next up, let's take a look at what we've got coming up next week. So coming up next week, on August the 20th, we've got Rad, that's coming out on PC, PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. Also on the 20th, we've got Remnant from the Ashes, and that's coming out on PC, PS4, and Xbox One. On the 21st, we've got Winds of Change, that's coming out on PC. And on the 22nd, we've got a few games. We've got Life is Strange 2, Episode 4, Faith, that's coming out on PC, PS4, and Xbox One. We've got Onanaki coming out on PC, PS4, and Nintendo Switch. And we've got Space Harrier also coming out on Nintendo Switch. And finally, we've got Puyo Puyo that's also coming out on Nintendo Switch. Well, I'm really looking forward to Onanaki coming out this week. And I also caught a, a stream of Remnant from the Ashes this week. That, that looks really interesting. But I think my main focus this week, and something we're going to be talking about next week on the podcast, is Onanaki. Let me know if you're going to be going out there and buying anything this week and uh, send me an email on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com. Okay, so that's it for coming up next week. And next up, let's take a look at what I've been doing outside of gaming.
So yesterday, I went to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So it's the ninth movie from Quentin Tarantino with Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio on great form. Stories about Hollywood in 1969 and it's a love letter from Tarantino to the business he loves so much. There's a great cast which includes some long-lost actors from TV series. We've got Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. He's a former Western movie star who's losing confidence and he's on the downward curve from his career. And he has this great moment with Al Pacino early on in the movie. And Al Pacino plays a really funny kind of movie mogul kind of character. Really, really good. Or Rick Dalton, he's helped out by his driver, Muscle, and general handyman, Cliff, who's played by Brad Pitt. The movie depicts a great friendship between the two, and they've got really good chemistry together. There's a great moment where Rick's on his way to set and Cliff shouts out of the car, You're Rick effing Dalton! Go get him! The movie focuses on the infamous Sharon Tate, and in a great scene, she sees her name up on the boards outside a movie theatre, and she proceeds to buy a ticket and check out her movie. Not all is quite right in Hollywood with a strange gathering of hippies at an old ranch, and Pitt's character Cliff goes to investigate. On closer inspection, he gets into a bust-up with one of them. But yeah, it's pretty hard to talk about the movie without spoiling some of the main plot beats, and I, I don't want to spoil anything. I went into it pretty blind, and uh, it's, it's quite a long movie, but it really kind of um, it really brings you along... And I didn't really kind of look around in the cinema or, you know, uh, get bored at any point to think, oh, you know, when, when's this going to finish? You know, it's, a, it's about three hours long, but it's it's one of Tarantino's best movies for years. I didn't mind The Hateful Eight. I thought it was good. It was it was almost like a play. But uh, this, this movie is a real love letter to cinema. It's got to be up there in the top movies that Tarantino has done. I'm almost tempted for the first time in years to go back to the cinema and see it again. It's really, really good. So if you like Tarantino movies, then I definitely recommend checking this one out. Well, that's it for this week's episode. If you want to get involved in the show, then email me on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com or check out the latest on the website. Send in your questions, your comments and your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. I'm also available on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube and Instagram to search This Week in Video Games on your favourite platform and join in the conversation. And if you want to support This Week in Video Games content, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games. In exchange for supporting the show, you get shout-outs on the show, Discord access, exclusive Patreon content polls, special design podcast scripts, and stickers. So if you enjoy This Week in Video Games, then sign up to Patreon. It'd be great to see you there. So thanks once again for hanging out with me and chatting about video games. I hope you have a great week. I'll talk to you next weekend, but for now, I'll see you soon.